financial experts thought we were in the clear. They were anticipating around six rate cuts by the Fed this year. And then the inflation data came out, higher than expected. Friends, this isn't going away. It can't. The U.S. is $34 trillion in the hole, and yet we keep printing money, which pushes the prices you pay every day even higher. So you can either bury your head in the sand or you can do something about it. Diversify a portion of your savings into gold with Birch Gold Group. Gold is your hedge against inflation, and Birch Gold makes it easy to own. They'll help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into a tax-sheltered IRA in gold, and you don't pay a penny out of pocket. Text STRANGE to 989898 and get your free info kit on gold. Then talk to a precious metal specialist on how to protect your savings from persistent inflation with gold. Text STRANGE to 989898 now. If you're still deciding on your spring break getaway, Amtrak's got just the ticket. You can visit cities from D.C. and Philly to New York and Boston, all while enjoying more sustainable travel. Amtrak produces up to 83% less carbon emissions than traveling by car or plane. And did we mention the extra legroom and comfy seats? Book early and save at Amtrak.com. Click or tap the banner. Emissions comparisons vary depending on route and locomotive type. Restrictions may apply. Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown. With three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown, you get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at WilmingtonandBeachesVacation.com. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. Somebody doesn't want us to know what's going on down there and why they want to hide ancient history is a bit of a puzzlement to me. And of course, we can't be certain about who the they is, but they have been very active. Check out the huge selection of Strange Planet merchandise in my online shop. Go to strangeplanet.ca and click on Shop in the menu or find the link in the episode notes for this podcast. At my Strange Planet shop, you'll find unique men's, women's, unisex t-shirts and athletic shirts, leggings, tote bags, mugs, neck gaiters, and stickers and more, all emblazoned with amazing artwork designed exclusively for my Strange Planet shop by artist illustrator Rick Forgus. If you're a fan of Strange Planet, why not show it off? Go to strangeplanet.ca and click on shop or Go to the episode notes for this podcast and click on the link. It's a strange planet. Dress for it. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. Pursuing the truth wherever it leads. Exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites. Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from his studio beneath the stairs, here's Richard Serrett. Mary Joyce has worked for two major metropolitan newspapers, the Orlando Sentinel in Florida, as an artist and columnist, and the Oakland Press in Michigan. And the Oakland Press in Michigan as a Sunday magazine editor and then the feature editor. 
Mary's gone from investigating mob stories in Detroit, including Jimmy Hoffa's death, to interviewing people with the highest top secret clearances about clandestine government activities. She even had a face-to-face interview with a whistleblower with cosmic top secret clearance who once worked within the top tier of the infamous international cabal. She's the author of Underground Military Bases Hidden in North Carolina Mountains. Cherokee little people were real. Tangible evidence of Jesus left behind for us and Bigfoot beyond the footprints. And she is the founder of an absolutely fabulous website called skyshipsovercashiers.com. Hey, Mary, welcome. How are you? I'm doing real well. And as usual, I like to share with you the most recent uh, information that I've discovered and one that I'm currently kind of excited about. And since September, we have discovered three ancient cities emerging from the ice in Antarctica. And to give your listeners an idea of what this, these images look like, they're all perpendicular lines. They are uh, uh, box squares that look like the walls for uh, multiple buildings like you might see in New York. Uh, not as clear, but clearly they are uh, not man, uh, they are man-made, not uh, something that nature did. And, and, uh, and you discovered these using Google Earth. Yes, and I would encourage people to uh, use that a lot. We found things that we weren't supposed to see under the ocean and on Mars and now in Antarctica, and uh, it's quite a useful tool. So uh, talk to me about the this young disabled woman. I believe she suffered a series of strokes and is was left bedridden, so she has a lot of time now and has taken up this task of using Google Earth to find unusual perhaps ancient formations under the ocean and now in the Antarctic. I'm so glad you mentioned her. Her name is Mary Hall. She lives in Michigan. Uh, She got a stroke as a very young person. She was under 50 and um, for a stroke that's young. And uh, she's now uh, homebound, but she's not bedridden. And she doesn't waste her time. She uses, uh, she monitors the uh, International Space Center, She uh, monitors Google. She searches for these things. And back in May, she decided she was going to see if she could find any remnants of an ancient civilization on Antarctica. So she started in May and she found one um, in September, September 18th. And it's really quite an interesting uh, place because not only does it have these uh, geometric shapes, but the whole uh, metropolitan area is um, like organic. It's like it's, de- it's developed along a river, perhaps. Um, and uh, that's what really got us started. And when she found that, it inspired me to start really taking more time to look for things myself. And I found one uh, that I call a walled city. And um, there's this wall that's a uh, 574 feet long, and right next to it, abutting to it, and below it, are all these uh, box shapes that indicate, um, I'll say, man-made structures. Um, when you back off from that and get a, a bigger view of it, that um, that wall, which may be a bridge, which may be a road, I'm, I, I cannot tell for sure, it's broken and it picks up again. And when it picks up again, it's... Um, over 1,600 feet in length. And for those who aren't familiar with Google Earth, there is a tool 
where you can actually measure things and you can measure them in feet or in inches or miles or kilometers. And uh, so it's been very helpful in discovering these things. And what is most remarkable, perhaps, of all, as you point out in the, uh, the article at skyshipsovercashiers.com, is if these ancient cities, ancient civilizations are emerging from the ice, how old would they have to be? They have to be the oldest things that we've ever discovered. Uh, most scientists agree that um, the ice has been in Antarctica for about 34 million years. That's an awful long time. And so the ice is melting fast now, and uh, these things are emerging, and they have to be at least that old. And they've been in a deep freeze for millions of years. We don't have anything close to that age on any other continent in, in the world. Uh, the oldest one I'm familiar with is in uh, Africa, and it's kind of a primitive structure. It goes back uh, 100,000 years, which is just a blink of the eye compared to what we're finding in Antarctica. Um, it's actually the, the things in Antarctica are 340 times older than the oldest things we know about in South Africa. What about these legendary bases that the Nazis built down there in the Antarctic? Is it possible that, that we're looking at those? Uh, no, uh, everything that I have learned about that is those structures are very deep within Antarctica. Um, and these are just below the ice. So I don't think we're seeing the same thing. And um, from what I understand, the Nazi, Nazi structures um, really started out by expanding on um, like volcanic tubes and volcanic um, caves uh, way beneath the ground. So no, I don't think they're the same thing. This um, young woman that first discovered these images on Google Earth back in May, uh, she was looking in a very unusual place, some, some, a place that most people wouldn't think about. Tell me about that. I would have skipped right over that. Um, there, in fact, I have a picture with a story on the website, and it's just a picture of the ice. And you can see these real fine, um, like black sliver-like cracks in the ice. Well, she actually took the time to zero in and go into those cracks, and that's where she found the first ruins. Um, I confess I never would have been that diligent to have, uh, um, to, have to have found the original ones because uh, it would take so much dedication and patience and time. You were, uh, you're always careful to mark down the exact coordinates when you're looking for something on Google Earth. And in this case, I believe you marked it 79 degrees, 13 minutes, 50 seconds south, 155 degrees, 51 minutes, 30 seconds east. And you do that because you want to go back and check it at some point. What happened when you went back to that exact same coordinate the next time? Well, there's two reasons I do it. One is for my own reference so I can go back and find the things again. But I also want people out there in the world to be able to check these things out for themselves because there's so much happening on the Internet where people do Photoshop and they seem to get a kick out of, you know, creating things that aren't real. So when you can check them out yourself, then it becomes more believable. Now, the thing that really, um, I guess, upset me uh, happened uh, on the 28th of this month, just a couple of days ago. And I went back after writing an article about this find, 
And my goodness, it had been totally distorted. Uh, in, uh, initially, I could see the parallel lines and the perpendicular lines and the box shapes. And just an hour later, when I went back, um, it, it doesn't look like that at all. Um, so somebody doesn't want us to know what's going on down there and why they want to hide, hide ancient history is a bit of a puzzlement to me. And of course, we can't be certain about who the they is, but they have been very active. Right. You, you posted the after picture when you went back to look at it again. And as you say, it's very pixelated, very blurry. You really can't tell uh, that you're looking at some sort of an, uh, an ancient metropolis. Uh, who, who do you think built these things? Are we talking about an ancient alien civilization or uh, perhaps along the lines of, you know, Michael Cremo, who's written about um, ancient advanced technological civilizations that have existed on earth for millions and millions of years. I lean toward the idea that they're uh, more like us than like aliens. Um, that's just my own uh, feel about this story. Uh, the reptilian stories all seem to be coming from deep within the ground. These were clearly surface structures uh, at one time that were covered up. The Nazi things, the reptilian things were deep beneath that uh, from the beginning. So they weren't surface structures. All right. Well, I'm sure you'll uh, continue to search uh, Google Earth for, uh, for more uh, evidence of ancient civilizations down in the Antarctic. Now, let's shift gears. Here's another mind-blowing story available at skyshipsovercashiers.com. And that is... Uh, Albert Einstein's assistant, Dr. Shirley Wright. This was uh, an interview that was released, uh, I guess, earlier this month, a taped interview with Dr. Shirley Wright, who accompanied Dr. Albert Einstein, her boss, at a Roswell investigation in 1947. Tell me about it. Well, to be very honest with you, um, I'm not that much interested in posting Roswell stories because it seems like we have heard it from so many people so many ways. But this is different. And, um, you know, Dr. Shirley Wright was, was a very bright woman, and she didn't release her story until 74 years after um, she was there. And she not only saw the ship, she saw the ETs. She told us some of the things we've heard from other people. There were nine bodies. But what sticks out in my mind is that she was able to see an interchange between the scientists and the government people and whoever else was there, an interchange between them and the ETs. So there was a, actually a, like a Q&A back and forth between the two. I had never heard that before. And it's probably... Uh, anybody who's interested in this subject would probably find it very interesting to listen to the tape. Um, it's actually, I think, it, let me start over again. The, it looks like it was recorded on those old um, cassette tapes because one's about eight minutes long, one's about 10 minutes long or something close to that. Um, it's worth listening to. And uh, she had top security clearance to even be there. Um, a uh, couple of things that stand out in my mind is that um, those ETs um, were having trouble with their home base or home planet and were out um, 
exploring the universe, trying to find a place where they might uh, relocate. So that was the purpose of their trip. Um, they were very advanced, um, uh, apparently a little bit condescending about how ignorant humans were. Uh, they did ask uh, how far we'd gone out into space. They asked how deep we'd gone into the ocean. Um, they asked what kind of diseases uh, caused our demise. Uh, so they were curious about us. And of course, our scientists were curious about them. Um, the ETs may have learned more than our scientists did because uh, they just, the ETs felt that we were just, you know, kind of dumb, I guess. Right. And um, why was Einstein asked to, to go to Roswell? Um, he was the, one of the most notable and still is one of the most notable scientists at that time. And they brought him in because they wanted to uh, learn as much as possible. And he would have the background to understand so much more than the military people or, you know, the, the other scientists that might be there. That's the reason he was called in. And uh, according to um, Dr. Shirley Wright, Einstein seemed, uh, I don't know, what's the word, nonplussed about this. He wasn't like shocked or amazed. He, he seemed to take it in stride. Um, I think people who have uh, creative minds and are very intelligent have probably already in their own thoughts contemplated these possibilities. So I don't think it was hitting him like something he had never thought about before. Now, that's my opinion. That's not based on anything that she said. Right. Uh, and incidentally, people can hear that interview with Dr. Shirley Wright, which was recorded by researcher Sheila Franklin. Uh, and that's at ufoexplorations.com, ufoexplorations.com. Uh, did Albert Einstein, your, you, sorry, go ahead. I'm glad you said that because I think it's important to listen to the tape. And uh, I have a link with the story that we have posted. It's called Einstein's assistant saw and heard Roswell's, Roswell ETs. Um, the person who found it and made it public was uh, a UFO researcher named Anthony uh, Bergalia. And that tape is actually on his site. And anytime a, somebody does some really great research that I think other people ought to know. I am the first one who will put it on our website. I'm not trying to be the know-it-all about everything. And he found, you know, quite a little treasure when he got those tapes. The recordings were actually made back in 1993, um, but they only became available this year in October. To your knowledge, did Einstein ever talk about this publicly or even privately? Oh, I know that a number of years ago we did a story, and I'm not going to be able to bring back too much of the top of my head, but he had addressed these uh, topics along with uh, one of the uh, Nazi scientists. Uh, so, yes, he had contemplated these things and explored some of these things before. But did he actually mention participating in this investigation at Roswell? No. This is the first time that I have been aware of this in any way whatsoever. All right. Here's another shocking story. Mary, tell us about the United States and their plan to detonate a nuclear device on the moon. Well, let me tell you what really sparked it all. Um, back in 1957, the Russians launched the very first satellite called Sputnik, you know, and it was successful. 
the United States became absolutely upset because we were suddenly in second position. And I'm old enough to remember the impact on the uh, world at that time or on our country at that time. Suddenly we had new uh, programs in education for advanced math. We had, um, I mean, just everybody was getting crazy that we weren't the top dog anymore. So according to um, a man named Alex Wellerstein, and he's a respected um, historian about nuclear science and technology, the military came up with a plan to drop a bomb on the moon. Uh, the intent was to show Russia that we still were very powerful and, uh, you know, not really second place. I think it's a terrible, terrible, terrible idea. And, um, you know, it's, this is another piece of information that just came out this year. This man's book, again, it's Alex Wellerstein, came out um, this year. And so before that, I don't think anybody was really aware uh, that this had even been a plan. Uh, as I did more research into this, I found out that the man who um, was in charge of maintaining all the nuclear weapon uh, weaponry or the inventory for all the nuclear weapons in the U.S., um, you know, said before he died that um, there had been a plan uh, for scientific purposes uh, to um, use an atomic weapon on the moon. And the plan, he said, was stopped by extraterrestrials. And this man was an uh, Air Force colonel, and uh, he worked directly with the U.S. Uh, Atomic Energy Commission. So those are two credible sources that uh, indicate that uh, our military once entertained what I think is a terrible idea. U.S. Air Force Colonel Ross Dedrickson. And um, you mentioned the book by Alex Wellerstein, that's Restricted Data, the History of Nuclear Secrecy in the United States. So did he provide any other details about this plan to detonate a nuclear device on the moon that was stopped by extraterrestrials? Any further details on how it was stopped? Was it a, a UFO that that turned the nuclear device off or was there a face-to-face -face meeting? What Do we know anything more? Um, the only thing else I know is that the plan uh, to uh, do an experiment with uh, an atomic weapon actually had a name. It was, it was Project A119. And the only thing I know is that when before he died, he said that plan was halted by extraterrestrials. If he elaborated on it, I have not been able to find that. All right. I'm wondering if they had been successful and detonated this nuclear device on the moon, whether that might have altered the distance between the earth and the moon, whether it could have caused some catastrophic situation back here on earth. Has anyone commented on that? Not in, not in relationship to this story, but I do know that the moon seems to be perfectly positioned to keep a balance on Earth. And if it was in a different position, we would be in trouble. Um, our weather systems, um, everything depend on the moon. Uh, I'm one of those who feels pretty strongly that the moon is um, a hollow um, spaceship or ETs from somewhere. And there's been two times that... Uh, 
the astronauts had dropped pieces of equipment on the moon and had caused it to ring, um, which would indicate it's hollow. And some of this vibration lasted for hours on, on at least one of those two. And when you have an earthquake on Earth, it doesn't last but just a minute or so because the Earth is dense. But with the moon being hollow, that vibration would continue on for hours. Um, so if the ETs indeed are using that as a uh, command base, well, you better believe they didn't want anybody dropping a nuclear bomb on their uh, spaceship, which we call the moon. Hi there. I want to tell you about a podcast I know you're going to love. It's called The Dead Files from Travel Channel. On The Dead Files, Amy Allen and Steve DeShavi investigate the paranormal activity haunting real people and homes across the United States. Amy and Steve come from totally different perspectives when they investigate. Amy's a medium. She sees and speaks to dead people and uses this skill to find out why someone might be haunting a place. Steve is a retired homicide detective. He tackles the case from the other end of the spectrum and uses public records and witness accounts to piece together the history of the haunted location. On every episode, Steve and Amy investigate a different, real haunting to help the family struggling with its effects. On one episode in Falconer, New York, a family keeps waking up with scratches and bruises. They also see a shadow figure lurking around their home. They call Amy and Steve to investigate. Amy uses her strength as a medium to understand who the presence is coming from and why it's so angry. Separately, Steve finds out the history of the house from the townspeople and in public records. He finds that several people who lived in this house died, which matches Amy's findings. At the end of the episode, Steve and Amy share their findings and make a recommendation on whether it's safe to stay in the house or time to get out. There are so many crazy stories on the dead files, and what's interesting about Amy and Steve is that they investigate the hauntings from two totally different perspectives. You listen to my podcast because you love tales of the paranormal, but if you want more, listen to the dead files wherever you get your podcasts. Little Wing is now streaming on Paramount Plus. I'm in a period of emotional people. I saw all the oh, I don't care crap. A little adventure. Where are you going? I'm gonna steal a bird from the Russian pigeon mafia. Let's do it. Goes a long way. <laughs> Starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Life can hurt, but life is sweet. Little Wing, Brady PG 13, may be inappropriate for children under 13. Now streaming exclusively on Terramount Plus. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So, whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So, download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. How do you make a vacation last? How do you hold on to the joy, the clarity, the calm? Easy. You go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool, white, sandy beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll meet locals brimming with gratitude for an island that redefines what a paradise can be. You won't just feel great. You'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. Reduce stress and enhance your immune system. 
ESS60 from C60 Evo. C60 is the carbon 60 molecule known to deliver more than 172 times the power of vitamin C. 172 times. ESS60 is the purest form of C60, a known antiviral, antibacterial, and anti-inflammatory remedy that works. ESS60 neutralizes free radicals from cell metabolization and external toxins to help minimize inflammation and maximize detoxification. Further, people report better sleep, more energy, and renewed mental clarity when they take our ESS60 organic oil. To order your miracle molecule ESS60, click on the C60 Evo link in the episode notes for this podcast or go to c60evo.com slash Richard hyphen Serrett. C- c60evo.com slash Richard hyphen Serrett. Buy now and save 10% by using the coupon code EVRS at checkout. Again, use the coupon code EVRS at checkout. As you're staring up at the night sky, ever wonder who's staring back? No, me either. But I guess he better say it because Richard, you know, he's all wrapped up in this stuff. <laughs> Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. Well, the hits just keep on coming, Mary. Story after story here, mind-blowing story after story at skyshipsovercashiers.com. Uh, tell me about Sergeant Major Robert O'Dean, who broke his cosmic top-secret clearance oath. Um. Back in 2010, I spoke at the International UFO Congress in Nevada, and he was there. And I want you to know that he was so highly respected that during that entire week, I never saw him without a retinue of people following him around and hanging on every word he said. Um, He um, had cosmic top secret clearance with NATO. That's the highest clearance um, that's available. And he worked for uh, the Supreme Headquarters, Allied Powers Europe, which they call SHAPE, S-H-A-P-E, from 63 to 67. And he was assigned to the war room. Uh, He was an intelligence uh, analyst. And he said that his life was changed because they showed him a report that was done in 1961 Um, about ETs and about ETs being uh, here on Earth and and involved um, with our planet. And he said his life was never the same after that. In the article that I have, uh, which is called Man with Cosmic Top Secret Clearance Says ETs on Earth, um, um, which, by the way, is it's the very last thing on the homepage on the right-hand side. Uh, when we post things, we have the most recent 20 stories on the right-hand side, and everything we've talked about so far is in that column, so it's easy to find. Um, he broke his cosmic secret um, clearance a number of times because he felt very, very strongly that uh, the public had a right to know that uh, there were ETs and the ETs were involved in our world. Um, he said that we are going to you know, be exposed to them directly, and that our population wasn't prepared for that. And he felt it was his responsibility to let people know. I have a link with that story to a a seven-minute video in which you hear him speak for himself. And um, 
I think it's worth listening to. It's also, there's kind of a positive uh, message there. He's very positive about mankind's future. Which is nice to hear these days, because sometimes it seems like everything's bad. Um, uh, he said that if they were going to get rid of us or do us harm, it would have happened a long time ago. Uh, he feels like they have been involved with our evolution as human beings. Uh, he also said we can't categorize them. He said there are those that look human, that look just like us, and if they sat down next to us, uh, we would not notice the difference. Uh, he said that these ETs uh, have various degrees of um, capabilities. He said some are interplanetary, some are interstellar, some are intergalactic, and some are multidimensional. So, um, uh, it, it, you know, I think it's time that everybody listen to this seven-minute video because I think we all need a boost. We keep hearing all the creepy um, uh, creepy things and all the things that uh, make the world seem scary. Uh, Mary, you wrote Cherokee little people were real. Uh, we've talked about that in the past, but you have an update at Sky Ships over cashiers about uh, Cherokee little people still living today. What's going on? Yeah, when I wrote that book, which is a number of years ago now, I was uh, thinking in the past, I had met all these uh, uh, elderly men who had worked on construction at Western Carolina University, and they found all this evidence of uh, the little people. They found little tunnels, little skeletons. And so I wrote the whole book in the past tense. Well, when people found out, especially the Native Americans, found out that I wasn't laughing at this idea uh, that there might be Cherokee little people, I began to be contacted by people who are today still having contact with the little people, not in large numbers, but still they're seeing them. Um, one of the stories that um, I found incredibly interesting, uh, I learned from a, a very, very shy Cherokee girl here in North Carolina. She would never have talked to me except a friend of mine was a friend of hers and because of that connection, she was willing to trust me. So you get these magical uh, connections that happen, and sometimes the best stories happen that way. Anyhow, uh, one of her stories was really cute. And what she said when she was a child, uh, her family had a place up in the remote section of the Cherokee Reservation here in North Carolina. And they would go there for family meetings or family picnics or outings. And they kept a small trailer up there for the bathroom and also to do some cooking. Well, she was one of the kids running around playing hide and seek, and she decided she'd go hide in the shower of the little trailer. And when she pulled back the shower curtain, there was this little man, which she described as looking like um, Moji from the, uh, um, the movie, uh, the little character um, with the straight cut dark hair. Right. And she said he smiled real big at her, and it scared her to death, and she went running to her daddy, but she said she'd never forgotten that. And she wasn't the only one in her family who had had experiences. Um, her mother grew up in a, uh, the area called Big Crow Cove, and uh, uh, she said that she and her cousins would play around in that area in the mountains, and once they saw six little people in a circle— and she said in all her life, she only saw one girl. Uh, the rest had just been boys when they would be out uh, playing in the woods and seeing these little creatures. Um, her grandmother apparently had seen it. And then she went to um, 
Snowbird, North Carolina, which is even a more remote part of, um, of Western North Carolina. And her uncle wanted to prove to her about the little people. And so he uh, spread out flour on the floor. And the next morning when they got up, there were these little footprints uh, that could be seen in the flower. So those were some stories that just came out from one person. Uh, I think your most and recent. More. Oh, uh, yeah, please br- oh. keep bringing it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, then I was contacted again. When they find out, when the Indians find out that you're not going to laugh at them, they will open up with you. And another man, um, again, Cherokee, contacted me and he had uh, at one time been hunting, bear hunting with another friend uh, near a place called Chimney Rock. And Chimney Rock is a state park here in Western North Carolina. And suddenly there was this really, really bad storm and they found a small cave and um, crawled into it to spend the night so they wouldn't be uh, drenched. And he said, and I, let's see, I can probably quote him on this. During the night, my friend Kenny woke me and told me not to say a word because there were little people outside the cave. We lay there quietly in the dark listening. They spoke in old Cherokee. Today's Cherokee speaks slang. So Kenny and I uh, could not understand what they said, only a word or two. Uh, The little people were there all night. The next morning outside the cave, there were little footprints about the size of a five or six-year-old child. Remarkable, remarkable. Um, is is I, this? I can give you another one if you're interested. Yeah, please keep them coming. These are amazing. Okay. Um, I, I live here in the mountains, and about um, one or two ridges away from where I live, uh, there's a couple that I'm friends with, and they have a webcam outside their uh, entranceway to where they live. They live at the top of the ridge. Uh, it's a one-way road to get up there. Um, and if it hadn't been for, I think, a blackbird or something going in front of this um, cam, uh, you know, camera, um, they never would have caught it. But they caught this little figure in the woods. And they debated a while before they decided to bring the subject up with me because one of them thought it was just a spirit. Another one thought it might actually be a real little person. And what they finally did was to let me see what they had found. And I took that on the computer and I increased the intensity of the, um, the color. Anything that is alive goes to a magenta color. Anything that is not alive, which would be a spirit or a ghost, stays white. So what I did in one of the postings was I had those images and then I found uh, pictures of ghosts Uh, that are supposedly authentic, and I did the same thing. I turned up the intensity of the color. The ghost in the pictures stayed white. In one of the pictures, the ghost is crawling on the floor playing with a small child who was alive. The child turned magenta. The the ghost stayed white. So this little uh, creature in the woods, little person in the woods, um, turned magenta, so it clearly was not a spirit. Um, this was captured by the camera in August when it was really pretty warm. Um, the little person is either nude or very close to it. You see the back side of it. It has the long um, black straight cut hair like the uh, emoji from the movies. And um, the couple were really curious. So the man went out to where they had seen the little person and he measured 
the height of it. And then he kept crouching down by the markings on the tree, and he figured that the little person was about three, three and a half feet tall. That is the height that I consistently have heard in all of my research. So they, after a bunch of years, we finally may have a very blurry but perhaps believable photo of a little person. Uh, can I see that on the website? Is that anywhere on the website? Yes, it is. And um, I'll probably have to send it to you. We, we do multiple, multiple postings every week. And so I can't always tell people exactly where to find them, but I will let you know that. All right. Um, Bigfoot, your latest book, Beyond the uh, Footprints. And I know you've been doing some media. You were on with my good, pre my good friend, uh, Jim Harold recently talking about uh, Bigfoot uh, and uh, some other programs. Any, any updates on, uh, on your Bigfoot research? Um, I don't know what to tell you here. Uh, it isn't my research, but I will be posting something uh, next week um, by the end of the week. And it's one of the few videos that looks like it might be authentic of uh, a Bigfoot in the woods. It was taken by a couple on Vancouver Island. So maybe by the end of this coming Friday, uh, it'll be posted. It will be at the top of the uh, page on the homepage. So um, anybody will be able to find it. That's the most recent thing. Um, other than that, um, it, you know, I have a lot of stories in um, the book that I've done. And uh, it shows the human side of the Bigfoot. I got tired of hearing just about Bigfoot footprints and, you know, the, sto the scary stories about them always being violent. What I have found from my research is that they don't become violent, except with those who are aiming guns at them or shooting at them. Um, the two stories I include in the book that are of that nature, you know, involve that kind of situation. So um, these, these Bigfoot, they have family. They, um, um, I don't know, it's, it, they, they have more human qualities than people might think. And genetically, I call them our cousin, uh, our cousins, because they've analyzed the DNA. And I'm sure you're familiar with uh, Dr. Melba Ketchum. Uh, yes. Ketchum. She started all this. And she was made fun of when she first came up with her research that the Bigfoot have some human DNA. Since then, other researchers have confirmed what she found. And the mother side of the gene uh, pool is human. The paternal side is some unknown primate. They don't even have a record of what it might be. Um, another thing that I found out that was kind of interesting is that um, the Bigfoot don't all look the same. They can be different sizes. Uh, the smallest ones seem to be like in Florida where they're called swamp apes. Uh, we seem to have the medium-sized ones. And out, out west in the Rockies is where you seem to get the, the largest Bigfoot. But they can vary in color. Uh, one gal who has so had so much contact with um, Bigfoot all of her life that she was invited to go to uh, Russia um, by the head of the Hominology uh, Institute uh, because of her knowledge. And she said that uh, the skin color can be everything from black, tan, to white, to gray, uh, that the eye color isn't always the same. Um, the personalities uh, can vary just like they do with us. So there's a lot of... Um, variation that I don't think most people are aware of. 
Bigfoot Beyond the Footprints. Uh, Mary, you're so busy maintaining this amazing website, doing research. What are you working on right now? Um, believe it or not, I'm going to continue do, doing this research on the um, Antarctica finds because I think that's mind-boggling history. Uh, if we're finding things from 34 million years ago, and um, hopefully this will be the good uh, result of, um, I don't know, climate change. Everything else about climate change seems to be negative, but this is good because glaciers and ice are melting everywhere in the world at a very fast rate. And to such an extent that we even have a new category of archeology, span it's called glacial archeology. span And that was started um, after uh, a mommy was found in the Swiss Alps, and he's known as Atsi, the Iceman. And what a find. They found 400 artifacts around this man for his, his body um, as he emerged from the ice. And they found out everything about him. They, they found out he was murdered. Uh, there was an arrow that had gone through his shoulder and it hit an artery. Um, then he was hit on the head and he had a hematoma. So somebody clearly killed him. And shortly before his death, he had had a meal. They were able to analyze that. Um, he had eaten uh, wheat and ibis and I think red deer. Um, they were able to get his DNA and they couldn't find any uh, genetic link uh, maternally to any race that exists today on earth. But they were able to find on the father's side that um, the father's line came from the islands off of Italy. Remarkable, remarkable. Uh, call it the world's oldest cold case, an unsolved murder. Um, yes. Always fascinating yes. speaking with you, Mary. Again, the website, which is just uh, mind-blowing stuff each and every week, skyshipsovercashiers.com, skyships over cashiers and cashier is spelled C-A-S-H-I-E-R-S, cashiers.com. And um, where do we get all of your uh, books? Uh, they're all available on Amazon. If you go to the website and open up Editor's Corner, you can click on uh, my books, and there's a brief summary of each one of them, plus a cover photo of each one of them. So uh, you can get a taste of what they're about before you go and invest with Amazon. All right, Mary. Thank you so much for this. All the best. Be well. Thank you. I appreciate it. Take care. A new Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com. Blow your mind. That is all for now. Oh, and remember to share and give a five-star review because we have huge egos and need love. We're like cats. We need... We need constant petting. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.